The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus said, About that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, the owner would have stayed awake and would not have let the house be broken into. Therefore, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Today is the first Sunday in Advent. It's New Year's Day, so to speak, in the church's way of tracking time. This is the Sunday when our year begins. It's turning over a new leaf. The word Advent means coming. It comes from the Latin word Adventus, which is used to describe the arrival of a deity. The first visit of a new king or conqueror or the enthronement of an emperor. In some ways... The observance of Advent has caught on in our culture. It's not necessarily just a thing we do in church anymore. You can go into any retail store these days and will find some kind of Advent-related product. Don't believe me? Here are a few examples. Advent calendars with dog treats, coffee, beauty products, and Legos. If you thought the commercialization of Christmas was over the top, I've got bad news for you. They did it to Advent as well. If we strip away the commercialization and come back to what Advent means for us as the church, I want to emphasize this. Advent is not just a countdown to Christmas. It's actually a time warp. During Advent, we're looking backwards while also projecting into the future. All while being here in the present. As we sit here today, we're anticipating another Christmas, another celebration of the Nativity, and watching its arrival get closer and closer. And as we wait for Christmas, we're looking backwards and commemorating the first arrival of Jesus, born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem long ago. But we're also anticipating 
another appearance of Jesus. It's not just about the first arrival. And that's the reason for the emphasis that Advent is not just a countdown to Christmas. It's also an anticipation of a return. Eschatology is the word we use to label our theological beliefs about the end of time, the end of the world, the end of everything. And many of the beliefs about the end of everything revolve around Christ's second coming. There are lots of theories, lots of speculations on how this will come about or when it will happen. The truth is, no one knows. And that's straight out of the mouth of Jesus. About that day and hour, no one knows. Neither angels nor Jesus, but only God, the source of everything, knows. Lots of people think they know about how it will all go down. Some of our siblings and other churches are infatuated with these theories. There's premillennial dispensationalism, postmillennial, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, rapture. And if you don't know what any of those words mean, it's probably for the best. And I'm not going to teach it to you because I don't think it's worth knowing. Mainly because Jesus said about that day and hour, no one knows. Why would we fool ourselves into thinking that we can understand something that wasn't meant to be known? In explaining what it will be like, Jesus invokes the days of Noah. Jesus says the second coming will be like the days of Noah when people were going along with life as if nothing was looming over them. And then, bam, one day, like the arrival of a hurricane, everything changes. By the way, Noah and the ark is not the cute, cuddly story we like to think it is, with all the pairs of animals happily marching onto the ark. I don't know how any church can paint that mural on a children's nursery wall. Because behind the cute animals is genocide. People drowning and not being offered a shred of grace. It's a horrific story. So horrific that God repents. God regrets what was done and symbolically says, I'm sorry with every rainbow. So when Jesus says the second coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah, our hope is in the rainbow part of that story, not in the flood part. Our speculations and predictions about the end are better understood through a rainbow. You have to hope that if Jesus returns to the earth, that it will not be with the vengeance of a flood, but with the promise of a rainbow. The examples of what the second coming of the Son of Man will be like continue with pairs of people working in the field or grinding meal. One will be taken, one will be left. 
You probably have heard this described in popular books, films, television. They describe people being taken and their clothes being left behind on the ground. Ideas like these are all based on a very specific theory of eschatology as if they're completely factual and something that can be known. But remember, Jesus says no one can know. When you read a passage like this one from Matthew 24, your ability to interpret it is heavily influenced by what you bring to it, particularly how books and films and television have shaped your understanding. But this text about one being taken, one being left, is not as cut and dry as it seems. Perhaps it doesn't mean actually what we think it does, It's sometimes hard to separate the original meaning from the layers of interpretation it's been forced to wear. For example, the taken and left language are not the only possibility of how to translate those words. You could also translate it this way. The two men will be in the field. One will be taken away as a prisoner and one will be forgiven. That changes the way that we interpret that verse and what it means. It could mean something entirely different if you translate it that way. Also, if you take the reference to Noah and the flood as an important part of interpreting this passage, your understanding will change again. The popular version of interpreting this passage in light of a rapture is that God is taking the righteous ones in order to save them from the tribulations and hardships that the ones left will have to face. But that's not what happens in Noah's story. In Noah, the ones taken are the unrighteous in the flood, but the ones saved are the ones that get left. Noah and his family, to restart after the devastation. This text is not specifically clear as to which is better, being taken away or being left. Because for Noah, being left meant being redeemed. So what's the point of all this? Why do we read this? What do we do with it? The main idea of all this is to keep awake and to be ready. Jesus says to be prepared and expect the unexpected. But there's a caution here because there are two ways to be prepared. You can be prepared for the worst, assuming that dad is coming home angry and we're going to get it. Or you can be prepared to be surprised. Wake up to the reality that God is redeeming you for the new life of the world to come. Because there are voices telling you that Jesus is returning and he's not happy. Don't be lulled into believing the lies that God is anything other than overwhelmingly gracious loving, and merciful to you. 
look at this through the rainbow. God is patient with you in your flaws. God is compassionate to all people, regardless of whether they deserve it. God welcomes you and invites you to a relationship of trust. Trust not in being taken or left, but trust that you are forgiven. Amen.